0: Grace, mercy, and peace be yours from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. What is the gospel? There are several ways to answer that question, but there are not several gospels. There is only one gospel, the one that was proclaimed and enacted by Jesus, the one that was preached and heralded by the Apostles. Strictly speaking, the gospel is everything that God has done and will do for us in Christ. It is the good news of the free gift of eternal life on account of Christ's vicarious suffering and death in his resurrection. It is the forgiveness of sins procured for us by the blood of of Jesus. It is being counted righteous in God's sight on account of faith in the righteous one, the Son of God. That is one singular message. It's the message that saves. In the gospel, God is the one doing the verbs. We are simply passive recipients of all that he does and will do for us in Christ. The second that demands are made of us, it is no longer gospel. The second that demands are made of us, it is law. Law is not bad. God's law is good. But it is not the gospel. The law cannot save us. Works done by us in righteousness cannot save us. It is Christ in his righteousness in the gospel that saves us. Now, on one hand, it's such a simple thing to remember, right? If it's God doing the verbs, it's gospel. If it's us doing the verbs or the works, it's law. And we talk about this distinction in our, in our tradition, in our church body, and in our congregation all the time as Lutherans. We talk about that distinction between law and gospel. It's, it's, it's pretty simple on paper, right? Right? Pretty simple to, to keep those two things distinct. And yet, in our lives, we get it so confused all the time. We often want to commingle the law with the gospel or turn the gospel into a a new law that we have to obey or follow so that we can get eternal life. And we do that, we have the constant temptation to do that because our sinful flesh wants to believe that, uh, that we contribute something to our salvation, that we bring something to the table. It's my job as a pastor, it's our job as God's people in the church to keep the gospel pure and undefiled, free from error. Because when we fail to do that, when we, when we co-mingle, when we mix the law with the gospel, it can and does have dangerous implications for our Christian life. In the epistle lesson appointed for this festival of St. Peter and St. Paul, Paul writes to the church at Galatia. And in chapter 2, verse 4, here's what he says. Yet because of false brothers secretly brought in, who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus, so that they might bring us into slavery... To them, to those false brothers, we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So in chapter 2 of Galatians, Paul writes about his trip to Jerusalem to meet with Peter, James, and John, apostles and leaders in the Jerusalem church. And his goal in meeting with them was to ensure the unity of the church Paul did not go to Peter and the others to get kudos or to get brownie points or anything like that. Matter of fact, he's very explicit with uh, how he is not all that impressed with their status in the church. Uh, Paul's, Paul's not all that um, concerned about getting a bunch of attaboys from the apostles. That's not his concern. Rather, he goes to Jerusalem to meet with these guys out of concern for unity and for fellowship, to make sure that they are on the same page with regards to the gospel. See, Paul, he was not called through their apostolic ministry into into his office. You know, Peter, uh, James, John, these guys did not ordain Paul as an apostle. Paul was called directly by the resurrected Jesus into that apostolic office. And he actually labored among the Gentiles for years until he went to Peter and the others. This is something we often don't think about. So he goes to them, which is it's a good idea, but it's not just a good idea. It's a revelation that he had from God to go to them to ensure that they were on the same page with this gospel that they were preaching. And he brought along with him Barnabas and Titus, who was an uncircumcised Greek. And that's really key. He brought these two guys with him as witnesses. Now, it's interesting that he mentions that Titus was an uncircumcised Gentile. It's interesting because the main controversy in the early church, pretty much the first one that they ran up against, was this question of whether the Gentile converts to the Christian faith had to be circumcised as the Jews were. It was such a controversial question that it led to the first, uh, the first church council in Acts chapter 15. They had to figure this thing out. Now for Paul, the men who were pushing this requirement of circumcision on the Gentiles, these guys, they were called the Judaizers. These Judaizers were pushing a false gospel, one that could not save. It was that simple for Paul. You see, the fact that they required circumcision of their fellow Christians was a failure to distinguish law from gospel. And Paul refused to acquiesce. Paul was concerned with preserving the truth. He would not have Titus circumcised in order to bow to their demands, and he I mean even Peter, James and John said, "Yeah, that's fine. We're not going to have we're not going to have Titus circumcised." Now, it's interesting because in another situation Paul did have Timothy circumcised. Matter of fact, Paul was the one who circumcised Timothy himself. And he did that for the sake of their ministry to the Jews. But in this case, in the case of Titus, he would not yield. Because in the case of Titus, it was not a matter of culture, it was not a matter of contextualization, but it was a matter of confession. Paul insisted. That we are saved by grace through faith in Christ apart from the works of the law. He insisted on the purity of the gospel. And Peter and the other apostles gave Paul the right hand of fellowship. They acknowledged that he, like them, had received the pure gospel from Jesus himself and was entrusted with the message of salvation to the Gentiles, to the uncircumcised. Now later on in chapter two, Paul would go on to talk about how he had this confrontation with Peter at Antioch. He actually opposed him because Peter was falling short of the gospel. Peter had uh, he had created in his mind these two classes of Christians. There were the circumcised, and those were the dudes that were legit. And then there were the uncircumcised, and those guys Peter avoided. He didn't want to be seen eating with the uncircumcised Gentiles, even though they were Christians. And for Paul. that was a a failure to understand the gospel. Paul had to call Peter back to the gospel's truth and purity. It's an embarrassing moment for Peter among several others in the scriptures, but it's a reminder for us of how easy it is for us to fall into this, how easy it is for us to want to uh, add to the gospel or just mix a little bit of law with it to try to improve upon it. Here's a good rule of thumb for us when it comes to preserving the truth. There's a principle that we can have in place here. Very simple in helping us keep the gospel pure. If it's Jesus plus something, it isn't gospel. It isn't the gospel. For the Judaizers in Galatia, they were teaching that it was Jesus plus circumcision. Jesus plus circumcision. Uh, observing the, the Jewish ceremonial laws. Paul wasn't going to stand for it. We can't stand for it today. We should not. We must not. In our day, uh, in certain circles, it's it's uh, Jesus plus our works that gets us salvation on the last day. Or um, I would say in broader evangelical circles, it's Jesus plus our works our decision for him. It's Jesus plus us giving our heart to him. But see this is a this is a, a tragic confusion of law and gospel because salvation through Christ, it's either a free gift or it it, it has strings attached to it and it's no gospel at all. Those are the two options. Once I was having coffee with a pastor friend who's from another denomination, and we were discussing one of our favorite topics, the gospel. And he wasn't being antagonistic. He was sincerely asking questions. And he asked, don't Lutherans teach Jesus plus works? I mean, you teach that baptism saves. That's Jesus plus something. That's Jesus plus baptism. And it was a fair question, but it was not one that surprised me. Because for him, from his perspective, baptism is our work. And so whenever we talk about the verbs, who's doing the verbs? If it's our work, it's law. But whenever it's God doing the verbs, it's gospel. But we understand baptism, and the, the Bible teaches baptism as God's work. It's God doing the verbs. It's God doing the baptizing. God doing the saving. Christ himself is the content of baptism, and that's why it saves. This is actually Paul's entire point to the church at Galatia. He highlights this very thing. The baptized have no need of circumcision because Christ is their all in all. Galatians 3, 27, as many of you, talking to the church, as many of you as were baptized have put on Christ. You have put on Christ, his righteousness in the gospel. Everything that Christ one for you in his sinless life, in his active obedience to God's law, in his passive obedience, in allowing him to, himself to suffer and die for sinners. Everything that Jesus did to fulfill the law of righteousness is a gift to you, given to you in your baptism. Is that your work or is that God's work? It's God's work. And through baptism, you belong to Christ and he belongs to you. It's not something that you earned. It's not something that you did. It's something that God did for you. You can trust your baptism because it wasn't your work, but God's. He did the verbs. And that's pure gospel. May we keep it undefiled for Jesus' sake. Amen.